Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally, not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. Welcome to Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. This is Dr. Dan. Freedom Forum Radio is for you, faithful listeners, no matter who you voted for or what political party you belong to. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is not about politics. It's about principle. It's not about candidates. It's about conscience and the Constitution. Like the name implies, this is a program about freedom, individual freedom, your freedom, where it comes from, what it means to you, and most importantly, how to hang on to it. What could be more important to any parent, or grandparent for that matter, than making certain that their child receives a great education? Education gives a child the tools necessary for success in life. Until recently, education in our country really did impart to each student basic knowledge and essential skill, essential skill sets to succeed as a person, a citizen, a worker, and a family member. Whatever it was, whether it was in a one-room schoolhouse in the Wild West or the formal classroom of the cities, students learned reading, writing, arithmetic, along with the moral principles to carry them through life. Unfortunately, in our time, the teaching of that basic set of skills and values has been watered down to include areas of study that are designed to undermine individuality and competition in order to promote the progressive agenda of collectivism. The individual achiever is a threat to those who desire to force all of us down toward the lowest common denominator, the lowest common denominator of accomplishment regardless of an individual's ability. Of course, it's all about substituting dependency for achievement and replacing individual choices with the common good. Fortunately, some parents refuse to accept the idea that the government is the best entity to teach their children. My guest on Freedom Forum Radio is Crystal Sparks. Crystal, thank you for being a guest on Freedom Forum Radio. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here today because you're here to discuss one of my favorite subjects, the subject of homeschooling. I love homeschooling. I think it's fantastic. So let's get into it. First of all, Crystal, 
tell us a little bit about yourself. What is your background? Um, I am a, uh, I've been married for 26 years to my husband, and we have um, three children, um, ages 20, 16, and 12. And we have homeschooled um, them from the beginning. Uh, my oldest daughter is now a um, student at Wingate University. Um, and my other two, we are still homeschooling. So I'm still, I'm also very passionate about homeschooling. So let me ask you a question. You made a decision with your husband, obviously, to homeschool your children. Yes. Were you homeschooled as a child? I was not. Does that have something to do with it? Did you feel that you missed something or that you didn't get something when you were in school? I have an interesting educational background. Um, I, I did attend public school. Uh, my first two years um, did not go so well, and so that obviously impacted um, our decision to homeschool. But I, I don't think, honestly, the reasons that I chose to homeschool have a lot to do with my own education, um, ironically. Well, that's good. Uh, and I'm not even going to pry into that one. But <laughs> here's the deal, okay? You and your husband made a decision to do something which 20 years ago uh, was probably a little bit out of the mainstream, wasn't it? Was. It? it was. So how did you come to that decision? Um, I was working. Um, I had a career when we had our first child, and we made the decision um, that I was going to quit my job um, to stay home with her um, because we wanted I wanted to be very involved in my child's life, and I took parenting very seriously. And so I was home with um, Alyssa um, 24-7, basically, for four years. Um, and when it, the time came for her to enroll in kindergarten and public school, um, I think ultimately the, there was a lot of factors that played into it. Um, but over all of that, um, and those factors have changed through the years, but I think overall and consistently, the main reason is we saw this child as a whole, a whole being and a whole person. And knowing that no one, like you mentioned earlier, no one, no person and no institution, whether it's government, education, um, the church, is going to care about my child and their well-being, their, their, not just their academics, um, but their emotional, physical, spiritual well-being more than her father and I would. And so it did not make sense to me after being with her and nurturing her for five years to, to just basically send her to a strangers to raise. I wanted to raise my own child. And, you know, that's really... That's really a, an emotion that I can certainly understand. Uh, you didn't hand off the early care of your child to a to an anonymous third party or even someone you knew. You handed it off only to yourself, which makes that bond between a child and a parent uh, so strong and, and it's so important. And, and I will bet you that education did not begin at age five, did it? Absolutely not. Um, and I think it's interesting that society would say, you know, I'm a capable mom to provide my, you know, my child with their needs and meet their needs. But there's this magical number at five. All of a sudden, I'm no longer adequate. Um, but yes, because I was home with her um, and spending time with her and investing um, in, um, you know, reading to her and with her, 
by the time she was four, she could read. And that's not, you know, necessarily going to be normal for every child. But in this case, um, Alyssa was reading well at four. And so I knew sending her even to kindergarten, um, it, it, even from an academic standpoint, it didn't make sense for her to be able to read and go to school to learn her alphabet. We were so far past that. And so the first year really was, it was very emotional, but it was justified academically because my five-year-old could read well. Um, and then it just worked so well for us. Um, she continued to grow, and it's shocking how um, intelligent our children are. I think we underestimate them, and I think we also underestimate our ability as, as parents. So you you would say, from your experience, it was a kind of a natural segue from, pa- from parenting to educator because yes. you really were an educator while you were being a parent during the first years of life. Yes. I mean, we teach our children an entire English language. Um, you know, we, we teach them to eat. We teach them to watch, the, you know, what the basic life skills, you know, that's appropriate for that age. And, and that doesn't have to stop at, the, at, a, at five or, at, you know, at any age. There's also the sense of teaching your child your child right from wrong. The mor- yes. the morality involved in raising children also starts when they're young, does it not? Absolutely. And I know that you obviously were involved in that because it is part of what you teach a child. In many ways, the first thing ch- children learn is the difference between right and wrong. If you're a good parent, if you're actively parenting your child, yes. they learn right from wrong really before they learn how to read. And when you're with your child, you know, I'm one-on-one with my children, or one-on-three at this point, but at that time, one-on-one with a child. And you you get to know your child's weaknesses um, and their character flaws, and you have the opportunity to address those um, in love. Um, and so it's not just a set of rules to um, help things run well, although it does, but it's a chance to address issues of the heart um, and their moral character and just and stay plugged in. You know, they're not changing teachers every year uh, when they're home with you. I'm able to consistently walk them through um, issues that, that are challenging to them um, and lovingly address those. We have to take a quick commercial break here on Freedom Forum Radio. More right after this. You know, when we think about homeschooling, for most of us, that whole concept is like just a huge daunting challenge. And I would say, I mean, how how would I ever, how could I ever be a a homeschooling, educating parent. I mean, how, how would, and you look at, oh my God, what did you have to do? What did you have to do to say, you know, I think I can really do this? Um, well, at the time, you're right. It has changed a lot in 20 years. And so uh, when I started, there wasn't a lot of information available. There wasn't a lot of curriculum available. Um, but I'm... Um, I, I knew that it was the best choice for my family um, at that time. Thankfully, over the past 20 years, there's been huge strides in um, homeschooling 
um, curriculum, support groups. And so there's a lot of support available to families right now that I didn't have when I started. Um, the first thing that I did and what I would encourage any parent who's, who's considering homeschooling or has been homeschooling and hasn't done this is to look at the laws um, of your state. Um, I'm in North Carolina. Um, I, I, that was the first thing I did was check out the laws in North Carolina to make sure um, I was in compliance. You know, that's a funny thing because that you have to consider that. A hundred years ago, parents parents didn't consider that, that you wanted to teach your child, child yeah. you taught your child. You know, or, or parents got together and they hired, out, yeah. out in the, the West, what did they do? They got together, they they wrote a telegram or, or they sent a Pony Express rider back East and they brought some a school teacher out and she yeah. they gave her a room and said, take all the kids in, in our town and teach them. I mean, or we'll help out, but it was, it was, there wasn't any laws or rules that said you have to do it this way, you have to do it that way. Yes. Um, thankfully, North Carolina and Georgia, I, I think, has reasonable homeschooling laws. Um, they're very, um, they're reasonable, and, and that is one reason I would definitely encourage compliance, because they are, um, they are reasonable. The second thing that I would do is find a local support group or a community. Um, because there are, you know, I'm not the only person that has homeschooled for 20 years in this area. And, um, there is a, there is a ton of information available, um, but it's almost overwhelming. The, the homeschool curriculum market is a billion dollar a year industry. And so unlike my early years where there was very little, um, now there's the, market is bombarded with it and so that cannot be almost as daunting wading through um, and overwhelming of what's best for your kids and so connecting with other homeschooling families um, especially those who have some experience that can kind of help guide you is very helpful and it's not um, it's a natural choice I think in parenting to homeschool your children but just like parenting it's not always easy and so having other people to um, encourage you um, is I think almost vital to being successful long term. What what are the laws? I mean, what kind of regulations do, do state governments put on you? I mean, um, I I'm not a lawyer, so I don't want to give legal advice. And you but don't I can, want to bring, and you don't want to be one when you grow up. I don't. No, okay. <laughs> I don't. I understand um, that. Um, but my understanding of the law of North Carolina is basically you have to um, submit an intent. Um, a notice of intent to the Department of Non-Public Education and establish your school. And that's a one-time um, declaration. Um, you have to keep attendance records, vaccination records, um, and you have to test at the end of the year once your child is seven. Um, and that's basically anything above that is just maybe their recommendation. But is my understanding that is the, that's the requirements. So there is a testing requirement, and there is a testing, and that test comes from where? It's a standardized test. Um, parents have to provide it. I mean, we pay for you know the state does not provide um, funds for curriculum or testing, so we pay for our own testing. But it's um, there's a list of basically approved standardized tests that can be the California Achievement Test, Woodcock Johnson. I mean, there's just like curriculum. There's several. Um, the Stanford test, Iowa. Um, 
Well, you wouldn't be want to be accused, I'm sure, of teaching to, to a test. Absolutely not. But on the other hand, uh, that seems to be one of the only true requirements in terms of gauging a child's progress. Well, in the state of North Carolina, um, homeschoolers do not have to show progress. We actually don't have to uh, report test scoring. We just have to prove that we've tested so, and have that on file. And you test and you have that on file. Yes. Uh, so from a theoretical point of view, mm-hmm. you homeschool your child from all, all your child's life. They get to getting ready for college age. Mm -hmm. You have to have some kind of proof of something, don't do you not? Yes, you do. Um, You know, especially if they're going on to college. Um, And I do have a daughter in college, so I've been through this process. She took the um, SAT test, just like every other student. Um, And college is regardless of your educational background, put a lot of stock in your SAT scores. And so I do have um, a portfolio for her. I did have high school transcripts. um, And then I did also have her SAT scores um, that I I gave. She was accepted at every college she applied to. Um, She actually was given a very large academic scholarship. And she actually just um, was accepted into the Wingate School of Pharmacy. So... um, but yes, I did have to show, um, you do have to quantify uh, where they are. And so um, she took the SAT just like any other student. So realistically, at some point along the way, you have to be confident that you're giving them the information that they need at a minimum that's that has yes. got some as why as what i'm seeing is that there's kind of a minimum floor you have to read you have to be able to write you have to do arithmetic you you have some some of the, the core studies and general studies that you go over and you kind of keep track of that yourself through all those years through whatever means you feel is reasonable for you and your child and then comes a day of reckoning when you have to interact with a test such as the SAT or the ACT, in preparation for going from a home school situation into a public or private schooling situation that you as a parent no longer control. Right. So that's really what you're looking at. Well, um, the national, statistically, the national average for homeschoolers testing is the 87th percentile. So homeschoolers actually score, in general, very well on standardized tests. Well, I never had any doubt about that. Like the te- that is, I mean, a lot higher than the average um, student. And so, you know, when I prepared Alyssa's transcripts, um, you know, I am very aware of, you know, how she performed in all of her subjects. But the SAT scores, you know, reflected you know, what was also on that transcript. Um, and so they can see some some consistency in that. You know, if she had bombed the SAT and I had her as a 4.0, you know, there, it, my transcript loses all credibility. Um, and so there is a way um, for their sake to be able to quantify really where she is. And, and, you know, thankfully they do, you know, our students typically score very well on standardized tests. And they interview well. 
um, because, you know, socialization is always a hot topic, but um, our kids have the ability and the opportunity and the flexibility to interact with not just peers their own age for 12 years of their life, but they're in the community interacting with, you know, adults and, um, and younger children and their siblings. And so um, they score well in tests and they, um, they interview well. That concludes this week's episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Tune in next week for part two. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The rights to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Everything gonna be all right this morning. Thank <laughs> you.